All right, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Can I get a predicament? See, back in the Baptist church, you say, can I get an amen? But not here. No. Matthew. <laughs> there she is. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. See, when you think of a peacemaker, we often think of somebody that just gets along with everybody. Like kind of a, 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 a Mr. Rogers neighborhood kind of guy. But a biblical peacemaker is somebody that will engage, good, bad, ugly, doesn't matter, to bring about peace in a relationship with God. If they need to encourage, they encourage. If they need to challenge, they challenge. If they need to rebuke, they rebuke. They need to inspire. Whatever it is, a biblical peacemaker is somebody that will get in the mix to make sure peace is brought about. Now, who does it say the peacemakers are? It says they will be called sons of God. This is what God wants us to be, peacemakers. Now, as disciples, this again, this is Jesus, his sermon on the mount. Incredible sermon. Look over in verse 13. This is Jesus' expectations for anybody who says they want to be a son of God, a daughter of God, a Christian, a disciple. In verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. And look down at verse 14. You are the light of the world. See, Jesus calls us the salt of the earth, the light of the world. This is what he expects from anybody who says they're a Christian or they're following him. So let's start out with this. The person sitting next to you. Are they a peacemaker or a problem maker? And some people are like, I don't know if I want to look at you right now. I don't know what's going to happen. And some people are like, yeah, that's you. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Bring it back, bring it back. Before, before we get on our neighbor... Let's do like Michael Jackson said and look at the man in the mirror. Are you a peacemaker or a problem maker? Now think about it. We're going to switch up missing teams. What was your first reaction? Faithfully, yes, or I don't know if I want to do this. I'm happy where I'm at. I'm not. Are you a peacemaker or a problem maker? See, Christians are supposed to be peacemakers. We're supposed to be problem solvers. We're supposed to be the world's answer to their issues. So when a non-Christian looks at you, do they see the solution for their life or a reflection of their life? Because if you're a reflection, then you're just like them. But see, what you got to understand, we may have the same problems the world has, but we got a better solution for the problems, and that's God Almighty. But Jesus says, we are to be the salt of the earth. Let me define that for you here. Salt. It says, salt enhances flavors. It balances sweetness and helps suppress other flavors, such as bitterness. If you are to be the salt of the earth, you are to suppress bitterness. 
That means you are not to be bitter, and you're supposed to help other people not be bitter. See, that's what a peacemaker is. Some of you guys know some of your friends are bitter about so many things. Things that happen in the church, out of the church, normal life, whatever. It doesn't matter. you got to deal with that bitterness. I just don't trust. I just don't trust you. I don't trust this. I don't. You are a bitter person. And you know, when you taste something bitter, you look at that expression on your face. You're like, oh, Lord. Mm. And so when we walk around bitter, that's how Jesus looks at us. Oh, I died for that? Oh. See, are you really, are you really the salt that Jesus is saying you need to be if you're a Christian? Table salt is the primary ingredient helping create an environment where bacteria cannot grow and removing moisture within. Salt creates an environment where bacteria and disease cannot grow. You as a Christian need to create an environment where sin cannot grow. This is what he's saying. You are to be the salt of the earth. So just the people in your little bubble, are you creating a bubble at an environment of health or disease? So you got to look, are you the salt of the earth? See, this is what Jesus says. His expectations are. The major sermon on the mount that everybody talks about. Listen, that is telling you the expectations of being a Christian. You need to be the salt of the earth. You need to be a light for the world. But you look at politics, you look at news, the world doesn't teach us to solve problems like that. The world teaches you to blame somebody else. Republicans and Democrats are like two divorced parents trying to get the kids to not like the other person. And that's how they function. If I can get you to hate the other party, then I don't feel good about myself. You know, it's like a custody battle over kids without thinking of the well-being of the kid. That's how the world teaches us to solve problems. But in the kingdom, Jesus says you need to be a peacemaker. You got to deal with the bitterness. You got to deal with that environment. Don't be around it. That's why it says bad company corrupts good character. What kind of an environment are you living in? Well, I got three of my homeboys that are Christians. Are they strong Christians? Because three weak Christians will become four weak Christians in no time at all. See, we're one of the, uh, just America is probably the most schooled nation in the world, but the least educated. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. How many times we hear about how great somebody's IQ is, but yet they're very unloving. The Bible says, you only get wisdom from God. Proverbs 1, 7. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You have to look and see, do I really fear the Lord? People brag about how smart they are, how many degrees they have, and PhDs, and DPHs, and FHQs, and PDQs. But are you loving? You can have all those initials you want, but are you a loving person? The world needs peacemakers. People are overwhelmed with problems. What am I going to do after high school? What am I going to do after college? How am I going to make rent this month? 
I need better health care. Will my kids ever move out my house? We got all kind of issues that we have to deal with. You know, you can't live today and be happy if you don't have God. So we got to ask ourselves, as Christians, what are we communicating with the world? What are we communicating? See, we know men and women communicate different, even when they try to get baptized. A little miscommunication here and there. Because men use one side of their brain, while women use both sides of their brain. You know, MRI scans show that there are four different areas of the brain that women use for speech alone. Women can do two or three different things at one time. Boom, 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 boom. No problem. My wife can talk to one woman, listen to my conversation in another room, help her daughter with homework, and be on Pinterest at the same time. Incredible. I don't know how she does it. Awesome. Now, in regards to guys, when we speak, nothing lights up. I'm not saying... <laughs> I mean, seriously, MRI scans show... Because men use so many different areas of the brain when they communicate. It's just totally different than women. That's why men are so slow to respond so many times. If you find a man and he is in a household of like two or three women, just one man, they got like a wife and two daughters, he... <laughs> hold on, hold on. It takes him a long time to respond to things. You can walk up to him and ask him a question, and he'll just look at you. How's your day this week? Now, he's thinking. So his wife will respond for him. Oh, he had a hard day today. And he's like. <laughs> Men and women communicate differently. Some sisters go to the bathroom, come back, have three best friends they just met in the bathroom. <laughs> Guys go to the bathroom, and it's a written code. You don't talk while you're in the bathroom. <laughs> Maybe when you wash your hands, you can say, what's up? <laughs> we were so glad to get those air blowers because they make a lot of noise. <laughs> we ain't got... It's just different. And that's how we are. You know, scientists have discovered that women have five different tones that they hear. Now, men have three. And that's why sometimes women say, don't you talk to me in that tone. And the guy's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what tone? I really don't hear what you're talking about. That's how it is. Men, the phone will ring at home, they'll say, turn off the TV, turn off the radio, every day I'm on the phone. Because it's got to be quiet. Women, the phone ring, they cooking, baby on their arm, listening to music, doing everything they want to do. Now, you know it's true. Think about it. You're driving down the street, looking for an address. What do you do? You turn off the music. Like that improves your vision or something. And if you can't see the numbers, you turn off your headlights. They think it's a drive-by, like no lights, no music coming on. Now, I say all this because men and women communicate differently. Families communicate differently. We're all going to go through different things. But again, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers. 
for they will be called sons of God. Society does not teach you to be a peacemaker. But the kingdom of God teaches you to deal with things and become a peacemaker. There's so many uh, middle-aged, younger men that I've helped, but they've never dealt with things in their past, and a lot of them stay emotionally at that age where those issues happen. If it happened at 13, they may be 37 now, but emotionally, they're 13. Because they haven't dealt with those issues. We have to deal with issues and become problem solvers, peacemakers. Martin Luther said, I am much afraid that schools are going to be the great gates of hell unless they uh, diligently labor the word of God upon the hearts of the youth. Any institution not occupied with the word of God will become corrupt. To make it in the future, we have to have God. Now, Martin Luther said this hundreds, thousands years ago. But we see it all today. True. Look again. Matthew chapter 6, verse 3. We have to have the word of God to make it in the future. I want to read a few things for you here. Matthew 6, verse 3 and 4. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then... Your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Amen? Look at verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Look in verse 16, Matthew 6, verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that you will not be, it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, I don't know if you caught that, but God gives us three different ways in which he's trying to reward us. See, so many times we just get caught up on what we need to do, 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 do. He says, no, 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 this is about rewarding you. Your heavenly Father will reward you. Look in Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Look right before Matthew, Malachi 3, verse 10. It says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessings that you would not have room enough for it. You know, in the King James Version, let me read that to you, what it says here. The same thing, Malachi 3, 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now here, saith the Lord of hosts. I will not open, I will not open up, not open you the windows of heaven, and pour out a blessing 
that there shall not be room enough to receive it. You know, in King James, it talks about the windows of heaven. In the NIV, it talks about the floodgates of heaven. You look at this, he's saying, I'm going to pour out so much. What are windows used for? They're used for revelation. In other words, to see things. You open them up to see out or to see in. That's what windows are used for. So God is saying, listen, if you bring your tithe to me, I will open up your eyes and help you see something you have never seen before. I'm going to show you more than just what you've done, but I'm going to have so much, the floodgates of heaven, you won't be able to withstand how much I give you. But God's problem in Malachi was that they were tithing, but their hearts weren't in it. And see, here's here's a key point I want to make here. Make sure your walk with God isn't just a maintenance relationship. Here's what I mean. Prayers like, God, help me wake up on time. God, help me get along with people. God, help me be happy today. God, help me not be angry today. See, you know, if you have a vehicle, you do maintenance on your car just enough to keep it running. Because sometimes there may be things you need fixed, but you don't have the money to fix it. So you wait and just hope that it stays running until you got enough money to fix it. And then there's times that you have the resources, but you have to choose, do I want to fix it now or do I fix it later? You know what? That's exactly how we can be spiritually. We can know that there's something wrong, but choose not to deal with it right now. There's times we can pray just enough to say, I have a relationship with God, but it's not really in your heart. See, if you give your issues, your problems to God consistently, then you won't live in an overwhelmed state. But if you only take them to God when you're about to lose your mind, you're going to live in an overwhelmed state. And this is what he's telling them in Malachi 3.10. God said, you know, technically, you've been tithing, but your hearts weren't into it. You know how I know? Because you've been bringing me these three-legged lambs, these one-eyed doves. Oh, you've been giving, you've been tithing, but it's not in your heart. You come to church and sing beautifully, but it's not to praise me. You're concerned about the people around you. You know, I've had times where people say, I just couldn't worship today because so-and-so wasn't there. I don't know where they were. What? They didn't die for you, Jesus did. So somebody not coming to church should not stop your worship. Well, they need to be committed like I am. I wouldn't want to be committed like you if it depends on other people around you coming to church. Where is your heart to worship? Because, see, you're at church, but your heart may not be at church. So you can technically do the right thing, but your heart not be there. And this is what I want to get into here. All that was my introduction. Here's my sermon coming now. Look at Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. In verse 1. To the church of the angel... To the angel of the church in Ephesus write. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, 
and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You know, God says, you did a whole lot of good stuff. But here's my problem with you. You don't love me anymore. You're good at doing things, but you're not good at loving me anymore. And this is what God says to the church. This isn't like, how do you interpret this? I mean, he says it right clearly. You have forsaken your first love. Repent and do what you did at first. Look over at Matthew 22. Matthew 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law of the, and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You know, that's what we did when we first became Christians. When we were baptized, we came up out that water. There was nothing nobody could tell us. We were going to just win the world for God. Not our city, the world for God. And a lot of times we like to go back to, you remember back in the day when we used to have 50 visitors at our Bible talk? We had like seven baptisms in one day. Woo! You know, God says, do what you did at first. He said, well, wait a minute, I'm older now. I got responsibilities and kids. I'm not that young whippersnapper I used to be. Fine. You may not be able to do what you did back then, but do something. Do something. See, it wasn't the things that we did that were so great. It was our faith and love for God that was so great back in the day. And what we need to start talking about is that love for God and not how many visitors we bought the stuff. Because the visitors isn't the issue. The issue is the faith that got those visitors there. And sometimes we focus on the wrong thing. We focus upon stats and numbers. Let's focus upon the faith and love that brought about victories. And look at Matthew 7, verse 21. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons that perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You know, God says this, and it's clear. Just because I use you to do something does not mean we have a relationship. You know how many pagan nations God used for his will? God used a donkey to rebuke somebody. Just because God used you doesn't mean you have a relationship with him. Now, I want to bring this home for us here because I think we all get psyched out in many ways. 
thinking I'm right with God because I did this, this, and that. I'm talking about a relationship with God. Because we have been programmed and trained to do so many things that we start to do it without the heart of God. Let me tell you. Back in the 90s, we, we used to have what's called like geographic sectors. They had these you know, stuff. The guy that was my boss that was training me, uh, he was over like a whole, like 12 churches. And uh, we got into an issue, a uh, pretty big issue. And I told him, I'm, this is my boss here in the church, the evangelist. And I said, if you don't get out of my face, I'm going to punch you so hard, nobody's going to find you. And he looked at me, and I said, did you not hear what I said? You better get away from me right now. My wife was sitting there like, oh, my gosh, he done lost his mind. <laughs> not only is that bad, but this happened at youth camp that I was running. Now, I'm writing sermons every day. I'm preaching to these kids. I'm playing sports with these kids. I'm doing all this teaching, teaching, teaching. But my heart was not close to God during that time. For me to have that response to him shows that even though I was doing a lot of good things, my heart was not in that relationship with God. And you know what? We could all get caught up in that very same thing. You got to ask yourself, am I doing what I'm doing for God? Am I reading my Bible so I can be close to God or am I doing it in case John Talawali asked me, did I have a quiet time today? We can get so caught up in doing good. This is why Jesus says, why God says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone on this membership role is going to make it to heaven. Just because you're on the road does not mean you're going to make it. You've got to make sure you are in a relationship with God. Not that you know God, you're in a relationship with God. See, people can say, you know what, LeBron's in the Lakers, and look at all the things he did. You can name off a whole bunch of stats about LeBron. That doesn't mean you know him, because you know his stats. There's a huge difference in knowing somebody and having stats on somebody. See, we got all kind of stats on Jesus right here. But do you know him? Look at Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58, verse 1. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if there were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of his God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have they fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast 
as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for borrowing one's head, bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? See, they, they fasted, and they wanted everybody to know, but God's like, your fast is not a fast that I'm proud of. Your fast doesn't honor me, and you choose one day as if that one day is going to make everything right. He said, listen, it's not about you fasting. You can do the right stuff. You can come to church. You can sing. You can do the Yahweh shuffle. You can do all you want to do. But that doesn't make you right with God. Just because you come and get your, 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 your preach on. Look back at Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9, verse 14. Then John's disciples came to him and asked, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not? Jesus answered, how can the guest of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. They went to Jesus and said, wait a minute, Jesus, we're all fasting. But how come you guys aren't fasting? Jesus said, my disciples don't need to fast because I have a relationship with them. I'm with them every single day. When they family sick, I heal them. When business is bad, I tell them where to fit. When money's short, I tell them what fish to look in. When 5,000 people come to eat, I cater the party. They don't need to worry about it because I'm here. A day is going to come when I'm not here, but right now I'm here. So they don't need to worry about fasting. They need to have a relationship with me. This is what Jesus is calling us. Don't get caught up in the church things to do, the religious things to do. Get caught up in Jesus Christ. Now, here's why. Turn over to John chapter 10, verse 1. Now, this is going to be hard because so many of us have conditioned ourselves to do things instead of be things. See, Christian is the label given. Disciple is what you are. There is a difference in those. Because everybody, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. You can say that, but how do you live? Do you live as a disciple? Look in John 10, verse 1. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. You know what? Jesus said, my sheep will follow me because they know my voice. They hear me. They won't follow a stranger because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Now, the interesting part is this is that you will still hear the stranger's voice. 
You may not recognize it, but you're still going to hear it. In other words, each and every one of us, you're going to hear Satan and you're going to hear God. And one of those is going to be strange for you. And if you're not in your Bible and you're not praying, sometimes you're going to think God's voice is strange. Because sometimes you're going to say, I wonder if this is God's will. Sometimes you're going to say, how do you know if it's God's will? Whose voice do you recognize? If you're not in the word, if you're not praying, you won't recognize God's voice in your life. So when you ask that question, you got to ask yourself, do I even recognize, do I hear God talking to me? Do I hear God? God is trying to talk to each of us every single day. Whether it's through nature, whether it's through your family, whether it's through your friends, God is trying to talk to you every single day. Do you hear God talking to you? We sing this song, I hear God singing to me. Do you hear it? Really? What about tomorrow when we're not in church? It's kind of easy to hear it when we're all together right now. All the Christians together. Yeah, you, yeah. What about Monday? What about hump day, Wednesday? Hump day, hump day. See? Sometimes we get out of the habit of listening for God. So I want to give us two quick points here to close out. How do I get back? How can I listen to God? How can I make this not just a great, pure, righteous summer, but a righteous life in what I'm doing? The first point is this. I have to have focused time of prayer and reading the Bible. Focused time of prayer and Hello? I'm preaching a sermon at church. I don't know. I'll be done sooner if I get off the phone. I don't know where we're going to go. Yeah. That's a bunch of people clapping. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm leaving Wednesday to go out of town. I only answered because I saw it was your number, so I thought it was important. I'm preaching. Is the sermon supposed to be focused? Yeah. So why am I on the phone with you? Because that's what many of us do when we read our quiet time. We get distracted and get caught off in something else. How many times do we have a quiet time and then somebody calls, somebody says something, and that time is no longer about God, it's about dealing with whatever it is. Did I make my point clear on that one? We can't grow in a relationship with God if we're not focused on those times with God. Our prayer time can't just be in the shower. It can't just be walking to the car or walking to the bus. You've got to have focused prayer time. You've got to have time that you are focused on God. You know what? When two people like each other, 
They talk every day. They talk, they snap, they Instagram, they Facebook, they do all kind of stuff. If you're in love with God, how much do you talk with God? you got to have a focused time. When you sit down and read, are you sitting down with the creator of the universe, the heavenly host, the king of kings, the lord of lords, and having a conversation with him? If you are, how can somebody else come in and one little thing distract you mentally? When you pray, do you visualize yourself before God's throne, talking to him? I, even in the days I try to teach people how to pray, I say, just set another chair in front of you and just visualize Jesus sitting there just talking. But how focused are your time? Are you praying while you're in bed? No, I'm praying to the Lord. What are your prayer times really like? Look at what it says in Psalms chapter 1, verse 2. broke my neck trying to turn around. Psalm chapter 1, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. I want to encourage you with this. Have focused time with God. You know, the Bible says you need to pray, go in your closet, go somewhere, go in your room. He's telling us to have focused time. Can I have all kind of distractions? I'm not saying you can't never pray or read on the bus. You can do that. That's great. You may even convert somebody. But that can be your single link to God, my bus quiet time. Because there's a whole lot that goes on on those buses. You can be reading something as you try to make sure you ain't getting something. So first of all, focus time on God. Second point is this. Submit to God's word and live it out. Submit. To God's word and live it out. James chapter 4, verse 8. James chapter 4, verse 8. Well, we'll go 7 and 8. James 4, 7 and 8. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It says, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do I get away from Satan? Resist him. So many times we don't resist. We kind of like want to see what it's like a little bit, dabble with it. Resist the devil. It says, come near to God and he'll come near to you. Maybe you haven't prayed like you should have in a month. Maybe you haven't read your Bible like you should have in two months. You know what? That, that's the past is the past. You need to make a change today. Make a decision today. I'm going to get in my word focused. I'm going to pray focused. I'm going to get back. I'm going to go close to God because I know once I draw close to God, he will draw close to me. It's just so much going on. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no matter what temptation you encounter, he will always provide a way out for you. You say, I just don't see the way out. I say, are you looking for the way out? 
So to take everything back, 360, to where we began, Jesus called us to be the light and the salt for the earth. He said, but I'm not perfect. I know you're not perfect. He didn't say be perfect. He said be salt of the earth. So next time they, somebody uses that I'm not perfect on you, you say, I agree, but that's not what he called you to. He called you to be salt for the earth. Be a peacemaker. And everybody who uses that perfect excuse is going to have to think of another one because that one's not going to work anymore. You need to be salt of the earth. Get rid of the bitterness. Get rid of the disease. Get rid of the sin. Because God is trying to talk to you. Do you hear God talking to you? Focus time in the word. Focus time in prayer. And live it out. And to God be the glory. Amen.